You know what I feel like making? What you feel like making? Mm. What do you feel like making? Like a lemon pie. I don't even control on it. <laughs> I reckon. Starting already? I mean, it's recording, but we don't have to start already. Okay, I'm gonna A lemon mine. pie? It's the worst idea I've ever had. Why? It's a nice change. I don't know. Maybe try chocolate instead of lemon? No, get out of here, babe. You and your sister. Chocolate. Uh, chocolate doesn't work with pie. Doesn't it? can, but I'm. Can it? I dare you. No, Just yeah, that's not gonna work. Let's <laughs> try. Okay. I'm making a lemon pie. <laughs> you decide what you want to do with your I life. I can't believe that they don't work on you. Yeah. I feel like I mean I'm a bit in need of a clearing, but I just feel like there has been so much on our minds lately. Maybe we could start there actually, <laughs> because that is mainly the topic of our conversation today. But so much on our minds. So much on our minds. That's always a true statement. Always a true statement. Uh, truer sometimes than others. It's the sort of thing, this sort of room that gets filled, like a gas that fills a room. The activity is going to happen, but there is the feeling of being pulled in so many directions and having so much to do and not enough time and or discipline and or focus to do it all. Because you're, there's a lot on your mind? You're, you're I, I don't know, just because... Spending too much time in your mind or why don't you have time? No, it's just, I don't know. I feel a bit overwhelmed these days. You are pregnant with twins. We are pregnant with twins, but... So all the uncertainty that comes with that and all the work, that, it's just that I don't feel prepared for a lot of things. For kids? Feel like you're not ready to be a mom? Is that what you're telling me? I feel like I'm in transition modes between leaving work, the process of leaving work, the process of getting the house ready, all the financial decisions that we've been working on and trying to make, all the changes in our lives that are currently happening, that have happened this year and that are about to completely turn our world upside down, my parents coming, <clears throat> spend a few months and it's just we gotta get the house ready we gotta get our mindsets ready yeah it's, it's a lot and I feel like you, you don't escape the it's a lotness of it all almost it's, it's so it's so difficult to escape that it feels harder to attempt to escape when there's so much on your mind to escape mind when there's so much on your mind what it's you need to escape mind it's it's that the need to escape mind is most prevalent at the time when you have too much on your mind but it's also the hardest to escape mind when you have too much on your mind but it, it's good to start there and at least so a lot of times there are different ways we approach it but a lot of the times what we end up doing is distracting ourselves from the reality of things there's a lot on my mind i just want to sit down, distract myself, numb myself enough so that I don't have to worry about it. You just drown in... Is that effective? Drowning yourself? When you say drown, it's like you're distracting yourself from these things that are too much on your mind, but still by still having an active mind. It's just active elsewhere. It's a bit different. If you're watching something. 
it's active in a different way. It's active as in, like, it's captured by somewhere else, by by something else, but it just gives you a reprieve from the things, just ongoing to-do list and not done list and doing list and. But more than that, it's, there's almost this inability to. Part of the reason you have to escape it is to gain a bit of per, a, a bit of perspective on the subject. I'm usually really good at knowing what what needs to be done, and I'm really good at setting up timelines for it and having lists of things and how they fit together and when they need to be done and who needs to do them. And you're usually really good at that. Yes, well, but. Like Even something that. You every day. Yeah. How come I haven't so noticed? I'm I could surprise you like that. But, yeah, I don't even have enough perspective to be able to do that effectively. I feel like even that is just... Um, I, I realize that I'm not at my best at all approaching all these things because of the feeling of overwhelm and being too deeply stuck into that mode, in a way. I don't even have enough perspective to... Doesn't that signal a lack in planning? Not necessarily the lack coming from not planning. It's just not planning effectively because part of planning to to prevent feeling overwhelmed. But I think you should use the other one. I, I had already mentioned that. You don't kill us. Let me tell you something. You're not going to enjoy this. No, it's okay. You, Let me try Why don't you have that one for you and I'll keep this one for me. Instead of giving me a dirty look when you try and you're like, oh, it's too much. Oh my God. Thank you. You're just ridiculous. See, you had to say, you had to make a comment. So you <laughs> just had to take a sip. I just wanted everybody to know what I have to go through. I'm glad you showed them. Part of good planning has to establish what step one is and what step two is and, and go in, in that direction to objective completion. If you're still overwhelmed after you had put together a plan and, and all that. Put together is what I'm saying. What are you good at then? What are you doing with what you're good at? You're not listening. You're Maybe worse than me not. in the coffee. Sure. Okay. I'm saying that I typically find myself, I'm really distracted by something. Okay. I pull up my notes and I write down a few things and I come up with a plan and I'm good to go. It's 90%. Like we, I think so we even talk. that you're good at? It is good. Plan. Yeah. And then okay. it eases my mind. I know what to do. But I, what I've been saying is that I don't have enough perspective to even come up with plans. Like I feel so deeply entrenched in the thick of it that I don't have enough, enough distance to plan it out, to plan things out. And I don't know how, I'm not escaping the state of feeling overwhelmed. I'm not saying I'm doing everything I can and I'm still over, no, I'm saying that I'm in this haze. Is the problem that... Having, are you having trouble defining what it is that you need to plan? Is there is the problem with un seeing an objective? I think there is a lot of uncertainty and a lot of change. And I also difficult to imagine. I, I can't imagine all the changes that are coming up. And I'm a bit scared and I'm a bit anxious about it when I start thinking about it. And I'm not in control of my time. What you call as transition? Like the transition out of work, the transition into a more sort of domesticated life as a primary caretaker, the transition of my parents coming, which is always a bit stressful, always makes me feel a bit crammed in our space. 
the transition maybe of also figuring out my brother moving out and all that. There are a lot of changes that are happening which make it really hard to project onto the future, even next few months. Part of me, part of me started with, we'll go with the flow because I couldn't figure it out back then and things will come over time. And I'm not sure that this is happening. <laughs> so I'm not sure if it was just a deflection, a just delay versus, I, I just don't really know how to deal with all this. And maybe there really isn't a way. Maybe you just do what you can and then let things hit you in the face and then you adapt on the spot. A lot of the anxiety comes from that not knowing. Be, you, well, you, true, you, you have to, you can never be fully prepared is the point. But that shouldn't be an excuse to not prepare at all. No, we're not preparing at all. There's still a lot of things that we're doing. There are still a lot of things that I'm doing that I'm probably behind on. But it's hard to say what's prepared enough versus what's fully prepared. That doesn't exist, so I don't even know we could imagine that. But what's the, what are the criteria for a prepared enough state it's hard to say i don't know but maybe yeah is the sort of chaotic mindset preventing a better transition definitely it's it's distracting i can't focus as much and and it's it's more about again for my way of looking at the world. I told you, I asked you what we needed from Lowe's before we started this, because I needed it out of my mind. I needed not to rehash it and think about it. I, so I have to actually write it down. And that's my way of putting things aside, quite literally on paper, to just get it out of my mind. And it's okay, now I'm good. I don't have to keep that in my working memory. It's now safely on paper somewhere in my notes. Good to go. If it were still lingering, there's still this open case that I'm still tapping into. It's, it's, it's clouding me. You know what I mean? Mm. Not having the plan, it clouds me in that way. That's why it's distracting and because I can't focus. I can't focus because there are all these open items that I have to deal with or not deal with or ignore right? or pretend to ignore. But either way, it's like this, this sort of cloud that lingers because it hasn't been, you know, dealt with, put in a box, to-do list, checklist. It's just how my mind operates. I would imagine, like, when I feel overwhelmed with chaos in my mind, I'm not sure what to do next. I have so much I need to do, I have so much on my mind. You know what I remembered? That I did not hit start here. I'm sorry. That's no biggie. Yeah. Sorry. When there's so much on my mind, it's you mentioned it's hard to focus, but part of the reason is I don't usually have a plan. You mentioned you're good at planning or having some sort of a plan, 90% plan. I'm not very good at that. And I usually don't have a step one. I just go with it until all my problems are solved. But that's... Part of the reason I can't focus on doing one thing when there are three other things I need to do and they just keep coming. When I don't have a set, like step one, I'm doing this and I'm rest assured that step two is coming, like your time is coming here, the tangents are just going to keep coming. And we talked about a certain value in tangents and, and certain beauty 
in tangents, but whenever you bring up a tangent, you're bringing up a lack of efficiency mm-hmm. and increased entropy, mm-hmm. if you will. And that's what prevents my focus, this lack of planning. And I almost need to, okay, take a step back from all this mind, from everything that's going on. Just take a step back. Start. I I don't think I should. I'm overwhelmed. Let me sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and write down a plan. This is not the right time to write down a plan. Maybe I should go quiet down. Just, Just take a breath. Literally, take a breath, calm down. And, and sometimes it takes a lot longer than it should. Mm. And if you're not disciplined, it's going to take you even longer and longer. Mm. Uh, and it's going to be less and less effective, unfortunately. But it's a skill, it's a craft that you need to hone in on. And well, you need to take a breath to be absent of all this mind. And then let the plan come. Mm. And the plan now, when you've taken a step back, it's clear what even step one should be, mm. what step two should be. What should I work on first? That's just, the perspective. They're all there, but they're there in the distance. You've taken a step back and they're all mm. there in the distance. And now you can pick and you have a better, and as opposed to you being in the thick of it all. And you're like, what do I do first? I have no idea what to do Yeah, it's, it's a hazy cloud, definitely. But going back to, this is great because it highlights the different ways the different ways we use our minds and the different ways they are wired in a certain way <laughs> to a certain extent but the different patterns of the mind and of course it is a tool that is unique to you your mind is unique to you how you see the world is unique to you how you operate is unique to you but it introduces this idea as your mind as a tool as a tool as a sense rather than this present entity that's constantly seeing everything and interpreting everything. At least it thinks of it, of itself as all-seeing and all-omnipotent and omnipresent. It gives um, that you a nothing, feeling. The eye gives you a feeling happens of outside of it. So the, Yeah, that nothing happens outside of it. That's the illusion that the mind is always projecting and yeah, th- this idea of the mind as a sense, just like your, your sight, your eyesight is a sense. Just like your hearing is a sense. Just like your, you have the grooves within your skin give you a sense of texture and temperature. We have to start thinking of the mind. I think it's very useful to start thinking of our minds as such a tool and such, such a sense in order to take, in order to reframe it, to reframe its, its role in our lives, really. Because as of now, when you look around, most of our, for most of us, most of our daily lives are completely overtaken by that one sense. And I think it's important to have a f- frame of reference to understand what mind is. If you are going to have any shot at taking control or silencing it if only for a matter of time whatever time may mean in a silenced mind but we have to understand what time is and I like this idea of time of of mind being a sense but to understand what that means from that analogy I have to ask what we mean by mind being a sense because when we talk about 
your sense of vision or smell or touch. Vision is easy to define. It gives you, your eyes give you a, a sense of what's around you, of what is around you. Like all the material matter things. It gives you a sense of this tree that is out there, the leaves, the colors. Your ears give you a sense of all the sounds that all this matter is making and this frequency that you translate. It's very easy to put a definition to these senses that we're used to having. Mm. How do you do that for mind if it were a sense? What is the sense of mind? What is its function really? So. First of all, a couple of things I think that are worth talking about with this. First, we have to think as a mind as a sort of supreme, like a master sense, in that it aggregates a lot of the data from all the other senses. And in a lot of ways, it dictates. So you have different senses have different weights on your understanding of the world. At the end of the day, okay, what is a sense? A sensory object, so any object that can sense, the purpose of sensing is to gather information, hoping to be useful information for you to move around the world. So we have to think of a sense as a, an object that is trying to gather information in order to make the next prediction or the next decision. Where do I go from here? That's the question. Where do I go from here? What's my next move? You have, a, you have this sort of predictive analysis that that exists in all sensory objects. That's the point of sensing. From the unicellular organism that's sensing glucose, to a plant that's sensing water, to a human being going, but yeah, let me just, so a sensory, yeah, a sensory object is an object that gathers information. And you have this mind that if we are gonna call a sense, we can't put at the same level. For instance, even beyond the mind, before we even discuss the mind, it's a completely different sight and hearing have different weights in our understanding of the world. We are mainly visual creatures. A dog is olfactory, a dog smells. Like a dog's most potent sense is the sense of smell. Um, the biggest node in the mind, in the brain's information processing. Yeah, even volumetrically, the visual it's cortex in the our brain. The value is most energy for a dog. It's visual for human. Yeah, so we are very familiar with this bafa. Yeah, which is super cool. Yeah, we have brought it up in. in it's it's a super well. cool thing. Like yeah. it never ceases to amaze because you see how you override, how you prioritize things. But ultimately, we have to think of the mind as an aggregate of all of our senses. The mind is trying to portray a full picture. The mind is trying to shape something whole, therefore increasing the usefulness of the prediction or the probability of a certain point of view or whatever it is. But it is a sort of aggregate mm. of all of those senses. And in that way, it is a sort of master sense. Is it not the kind of not the brain but the mind specifically or the areas of the brain 
responsible for the mind. Is it not like an Intel chip? It's the pro it's a processor of all the senses. It's a processor. It's information processing. Ultimately, when we talk about mind or in any of our conversations on ego or sentience or the the awareness, the I within you, Satan. We're talking about an information processing unit where perhaps all the senses are nodes, are portals of information to this core information processor. Mm. Yeah, but that, that... That you are rational. Or perhaps that's not really a great analogy because the information processor isn't entirely mind. You can look at it as the main information, the main chip, if you will the main computational entity. I, I think it's not wrong. I'm not sure I like it anymore. But it's still useful again to think of it as a sense and think of it as a think of senses as having a hierarchy. Of hierarchy where it's like you prioritize or you give precedence to something over another. And it's mm. a highly sophisticated sense. Mm. Again, it's highly sophisticated in a different way. It's a lot younger than a lot of other senses. You've been hearing before you had a processor that aggregates or before you had a before you had this sort of like a yeah you could think of again that unicellular that organism that's made of one cell. It doesn't have a brain but it can still sense things. The sense itself comes before any type of aggregation. How, yeah, I, I don't know, because there is a, if there's a primitive sense of hearing and a prim, primitive sense of seeing, mm. there has to be a prim, primitive sense of information processing. Yeah, but because information Because you're grabbing processing. that information, the entity itself, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to have a brain per se. But it has to, what's the point of having information coming in if you're not yeah, but you, processing you, to respond to stimuli? You're only processing, again, there is, a, there is some processing because you're still using that sense to make a decision, to, to decide your next move. But what I mean is that it's not an aggregate. It starts with one sense. Again, think of that one cell. It only has one sense. It's like, where is there more glucose here than there is here? and it moves in that direction. It's not an aggregation of information. It's an input-output. It's one. It's a one thing. Then you think of a more complex multicellular organism. Now it could get more information. Now it's going to need to start... It could start by processing information separately, but eventually it's going to need to start aggregating that but the information. the separation I don't even separated... Know it's all that's even all senses, and even if it happened at the same time, let's say, for, yeah. for, for the sake of simplifying things, even if it's separated and you have a centralized mind processor and nodes of hardware that are providing you with information, they're still as young and old as each other. Because yeah. they were one and then they split. Possibly, they sp maybe, yeah. Certainly, the type of complexity that comes from the aggregation that is happening within our brains and within our minds is not only an outlier, but it's also a lot newer in our evolution.
than everything else. That sense of, we're talking about the sense of self at this point, this sort of processor that aggregated so much data somehow led to a sort of self-reflecting entity. So the second thing I wanted to, that's the second thing I wanted to talk about, the mind, not just that it was in a way the sort of master aggregator of all the senses, but that it actually has the ability somehow to look at itself, looking at the world. So it's not only looking at the world and making predictions, it's also looking at itself, which is quite, this is the outlier part. As far as we know, we're the only entity who can, we're the only species on this planet at this point who can do this. You have a mind that sees itself looking at the world. And it's a key factor, and that's part of the, what I mean by it's younger. That entity, that ability at least, is a lot younger than all of our other senses. That we've been sensing the world for billions of years. Louis, you stay with me, baby. We've been sensing the stay world. We've been navigating through this earth, through this planet, through all the obstacles for four billion years. We've only been looking at ourselves doing well, it. I'm that's exaggerating. A big, that's a big... No, it's but, not that bad of but, an exaggeration. Yeah, it's, it's a worthy exaggeration. Yeah. But we've only been looking at ourselves doing it for a few hundred... Thousand? Yeah, a few hundred thousand years. So definitely a very young... Definitely a very young sense. But this is that's sense. a targeting of a Homo sapien, and that's these are we are the only entities we know of because we're the only entities that survived from some. That's of why Homo I erectus. said right now. But, I, I agree, yeah, but, but it, it seems like been, it's part of our blueprint. It happened somewhere. Our human cousins most likely had that blueprint as well. It's not. It's not unreasonable to actually. It's unreasonable to think otherwise. Just otherwise. Yeah, Th it they just had doesn't some make sense. Other states of ego. Absolutely. But it's, I still think it's hard to make that distinction. And that's because, not only because, okay, we're the only ones now, and we could have had other human cousins that have surpassed a certain point of this singularity, if you will, of some, somewhere down our ancestral tr trail, the sentience has reached a level of complexity where it became aware of self. You had self-awareness, not just mm -hmm. self, but awareness of self, a mind that you... This, that it actually a voice started whispering within you mm -hmm. and you're familiar with it and the and I think in one of our takes we talked about that moment when we tried to speculate when it happened down our like that moment of Adam if you will when that, that first entity that started waking up with the sense of self-awareness but we talked about it not being a gray area because it's hard to define mm -hmm. and the reason it's hard to define is because the, whatever arbitrary point you put, the moment right before is not an existence absent of sentience, absent of that processor, absent of some prim primitive sense of mind. Just like vision, our ancestors, even ancestors that still exist today, and, or, or cousins from ancestors we share still exist today, we know that they have a sense of vision. But we still don't quite understand what vision means without sentience. What does it mean to see without interpreting? I mean, what you're interpreting. It mean? It, you are but interpreting it, the data. Without the sentient, without the 
awareness of this interpretation. I mean, there's an obstacle in front of me. I have to jump. That's Under, an interpretation. But there's a rationalization that exists that we cannot, we struggle to take away from the interpretation and therefore reaction to stimuli. A dog doesn't necessarily have that rationalization. They just react to stimuli and they need to use their visual input. And yeah, but in a there way... There is an information processor without, without necessarily sentience having crossed that threshold. But we don't know what it means for a dog to see. We know what it means for us to see because we can rationalize what it means to see. But I'd like to make the point that it's actually part of the problem with having this big brain of ours is that it's, it really is an energy guzzler. And it actually slows you down. A lot of times, the thinking part, the, con the, the awareness part, actually slows you down. That's why when it comes to you, go to, you go on a flight or fight mode, you're not thinking. That part is shut off. You're actually just doing, right? Because if you actually were to spend energy and time on thought, at that moment, you'd be dead, done. You reminded me of the cop and this is years ago. Oh, in a California wildfire. Yeah. And they got a distress call God, from, a, from someone What in was the, home. the acceleration of that guy? And parked the car in front of the home, got out, went to check on them, and then he just sees big... Collapsed. Fire, oh. just like a wall of fire coming rapidly, accelerating towards him. Yeah. And really? he's not a very athletic cop, putting it mildly. She was a cop. Yeah, the average American police officer. And he just ran back, turned around and ran back to his car. And the, there's a dash cam from, from the vehicle. And they calculated it. And he actually accelerated faster than a cheetah. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. And it's, that's what happens when you go into flight or, fight or flight. And mm -hmm. you just, the mechanisms come through. Yeah, so this mind of ours really allows us for some really complex computation, but computation is not always what you want, especially not in a survival, in a, uh, when the stakes are very high. So again, great tool. Know how to use it and know when to use it and know when it's not its place, when it's not in its place, when it's not useful to you, when it's using you rather than you using it, when the tool takes over and completely just starts being at the root of every decision that you make. And it's important to bring out the opposite side of this when fight or flight or the need for fight or flight comes up and ego takes hold of you. And we've all been there growing up, when perhaps some of us as adults, mm -hmm. we get into a point where we are confronted with something that signals a fight or flight, but we freeze. We don't fight and we don't flight. Mm. We don't run. We don't, we're like that llama or goat you know, when they're startled. And that's highly problematic because that's phobos, the sense of fear. Just take so hold. So what is that? Take that, That's hold. not necessarily ego. Are you, are, what are you saying? We go back to Phobos or the god of fear hanging out with you in that moment. And in Greek mythology, they are gods. But if you translate them to angels, if you will, an angel is a devil if it's, if it's in control of you. Mm -hmm. Back to Rumi's quote from, quote from, from 
episode one, take one. It's every angel is the devil and until a devil has to be annihilated. And then after that, it becomes an angel. And that's true for all angels. And Zeus is, in a, in a, in a sense, this master in this analogy. And I know you, you have your reservations about that and that, that I always bring up. Zeus. With Zeus. Zeus, yeah. Zeus is the moment of um, Adam's inevitability, the moment human wake up, that overthrowing. Zeus overthrew the father and he took the reins on the throne and all the other gods speak to him and in, in the Abrahamic sense there's the devil and mm -hmm. his allies being different demons and angels are, are one entity it's a light and a darkness when we talk about God's names mm -hmm. they're positives and negatives that, that God what created you in your image all the characteristics great. all the yeah these angels that live within you and if you're not in control from the mastermind to all the little minds, if you're not in control, mm. they are in control of you. Even mercy and an angel of mercy and kindness mm. can work against you if you're not in control. So you can, it can, you can be duped and you can be fooled by someone who's trying to extract mercy out of you and therefore have you do something Mm. That's not in your. That's not in your favor. That's not in yeah. That's not in your favor, and that's maybe unfairly in somebody else's favor. Not only is it not favoring you, your your best interest, but it's also just disproportionately favoring someone else who's trying to get something out of you. But this is great, bringing up the positive and the negative, because I want to talk a bit about how the mind, like how the mind, again thinking of it as a sense is a limited entity. We know we accept that with our sense of vision. We accept that with our sense of hearing. I accept the fact that I can only see a tiny little piece of the spectrum of light. Like we have this thing in physics that bar the colors with the, from the ultraviolet to the infrared and it's, oh, this is light. No, this is what you can see of light. We accept that a dog can hear frequencies that we can't hear. We're going from, I don't know, like 20 hertz to 200 hertz. That our ability to hear is tailored to our needs. So you would see that like a human voice, a baby crying. The things that you have to respond to the most are going to be things that are within your spectrum of hearing. We accept that. Um, there are so many limitations to all of our senses and at the same time like here the, the usefulness of thinking of mind as a sense is to accept that it too has its limitations and it too has its ways of measuring that are not perfect what I'm hearing is not perfect what I'm seeing is not perfect you're rendering something to the best of your ability and it's very important to keep that and in the, mind and the, and the master mind is Filling in the gaps. Yes, but what's filling up the the gaps? I, what's I filling the gaps? I understand what you're saying from a sense of. Let's take one of the senses as an example, like vision. Okay, I can't see all the colors, mm. and even color doesn't really exist. Mm. It's just an it's just an interpretation of a frequency that we have, right? To, to that helps us make sense of this world. Mm. Right, light bounces back 
from a leaf at a certain frequency that is specific to this green and therefore I see it as green but I don't the, the, the amount of frequency that I'm able to translate is limited in the whole frequency of light and the spectrum of light the Roy GB that we're familiar with is it Roy GB what is it RGB red green blue no the, the, the larger one red orange yellow oh I don't know so the rainbow basically yeah, yeah. I didn't think it had it okay anyway yeah, I thought yeah, it was sure. I, I, I'm sure I'm butchering it. But. Yeah, so like 400 to 800 nanometers. Whatever the frequency is, yeah. Mm. I'm just flexing my, yeah, you're flexing my skills here. Super unnecessary. Yeah. Why not? 400 to 800. Because... I'm impressing you. I'm trying to impress you. I'm going to delete that. We're going to edit that out. Mm. You're not even a little impressed. I am. Uh-huh. I'm only impressed if you get it right. Also, so I could be wrong. You're <laughs> probably wrong. Man. Plus or minus 600, uh, <laughs> but I'm sure. I'm a little envious. I'm like, I can't believe I didn't know that. I'm sure it's nanometers. <laughs> Newton per meter squared. <laughs> It'll be even worse if you got the frequency wrong. If you got the unit of frequency wrong. Definitely, but that's not wrong. Then the numbers. It's not wrong. What did you say again? It's nanometers. Yeah. Okay, back to the topic at hand. Yeah. So the the positive and negative that you were bringing up about the angels made me think again going back to the mind as a sense because when you start seeing how the mind actually works fundamentally we talked about the unique ways in which your mind works versus the unique ways in which mind does when it does but we let's discuss about the fundamental ways in which our minds are alike where you have not just your what you would think as your personal mind but a more common mind, a more common entity that we all share and fundamentally it does the same thing in all of us. One of the ways in which we understand the world, we're talking about color not existing, really not, it's hard to say what that means, but you're talking about color not being what we think it is, but that's irrelevant. What's relevant to your mind always is the contrast. What's relevant to your mind is the difference between this green and the red of the benches, between the tree and the grass, between the sky and whatever object is, yeah, is, is flying about. But it's this sort of constant, your mind is constantly comparing and contrasting things and trying to figure out the relevance. Okay, did something change? What, if so, what changed? What's different from here? There's always a contrast. If everything were orange, we wouldn't see color. There would be no need, there's nothing, right? If everything is the same color, the idea of color is irrelevant, is, is, is just doesn't exist. It's only relevant when it's contrasted to something else. Things are only relevant when we can compare them to something else. And we think we are looking at something singularly. I know this is a tree. It's yeah, but you only know that because you're contrasting it not with, with everything else that's a non-tree. And then if you have more knowledge with every tree that's not this tree, like a different species or something, you're always comparing. So that fundamentally, if you think of human knowledge and all the things we have accumulated through the ages, through the millennia, it's a sort of comparison chart. 
this is this and it's not this and it's this and it's not this. The way we look at the world on a daily basis is a constant analogizing and comparison, like comparing. We're constantly doing that. Hence the duality. Fundamentally, your mind is always creating these opposites, the positive and the negative. It's always creating this contrast. It's always creating this sort of relationship. But they're not opposites. They're not opposites in this I, I positive see the and orange negative. In the backdrop of green, of the, the orange in the bench, or is, it, is that brown? I have no idea what that is. But I That's see that. That's because it's very close to the. <laughs> that brownish orange, as in contrast to the greenery behind it. But the green isn't the opposite. It's not opposite, it's not but I'm, I'm trying it's to bring in up. In a way, dueling. I'm trying to bring up two things, like the contrasting that ultimately leads to the oppos opposing sides. It goes hand in hand. I don't know how to put them together quite right. But that same impulse, that same need for contrast also births the need for opposites. So that you're always in the, stuck in this duality where there's left and right. What's if you don't have left? What's front if you don't have back? What's heads if you don't have tails? Like you can't help but create these two entities and separate them when they're actually one and the same. They're different properties of the same thing. But in our minds, the most useful thing to do is to separate them and to distinguish them as much as possible. And then what you do in between is you create that nuance between those two distinct entities, between left and right, between black and white, between positive and negative. And you have all this spectrum to deal with. But you're, you have a beginning and an end, in a way, to it, which is always you have this, these two opposing things that fundamentally are the same thing. But it's been very useful for our, our minds to oppose them, diametrically oppose them. But as anything diametrically opposed, it's still part of the same circle. They just, from our perspective, from our linear mind's perspective, they always seem to be opposite, contradictory. They're opposites. But we have to understand that's, again, part of how the tool works. How, do, how are we fooled into thinking that because our minds interpret something as in a certain way, that that is the way things are? No, that is the way you have needed to see the world in order to survive. Okay, and there is a very deep difference there. I know, I know that to be true, but it's still a struggle to conceptualize it. Like, that's how I, good your all, mind is. Although we can't necessarily prove it, or maybe you can surprise me and tell me we can, but. We know the, the underlying truth that we all see the world in the same way, in that we, if, if we're both looking at this tree, I, I think we're both seeing green in the same way, and we're both yeah. seeing it in the same way. Some nuances might so be the, different. The, but, the yeah. variations come from a break in a routine. There, there are variations that come in... There is a filling in the blanks to a pattern that we're all that is all the same for all of us. There is a filling in the blanks. There's a, a part of your brain that I'll put out when I find that things called like Broca's mm. 
um, but it's, it's, respons it's responsible for finding the breaks in the routine in the day-to-day. -day. Mm. And it reminds me of what we call muscle memory. Sometimes you drive and you've been driving the same route every day for 160 years. And then all of a sudden you get to your destination. You're like, how did I get here? It's so routine that you don't even remember stopping at a traffic light. You don't remember making a right turn. You don't remember stopping for this pedestrian that came. Unless that pedestrian is just out of the blue. That's what you remember. And it has to be out of the blue. If there's nothing in your routine, theoretically, in your day-to-day, -day, if there's nothing memorable, mm. because every day is the same, mm. and you need those memorable moments to come for it to spark up. If there isn't that, everything becomes a backdrop. And it's, there's a lot of filling in the blanks then. It's because it's efficient. It's an efficient, efficient thing to do. Mm -hmm. If driving from point A to point B, if I drive from home to work, the first day I drove, the amount of energy that my brain utilized to take that route that I'm not familiar with should not be the same mm -hmm. as the amount of energy I use in the, the no. drive number 5,300. Mm. It's just, it, cannot, it shouldn't be the same. And in that comes a lot of efficiencies. I don't need to, I don't want to say, I don't need to have my eyes on the road, but what does it mean to not remember? My eyes were on the road, obviously. Your eyes were on the road. I got here safely, I can't. Could not have driven with a blind with, with your eyes closed, yeah. Uh, unless I'm Rick James. Is it Rick James? No. Who's the guy that's References. Like I'm just horrible with these things. But anyway. Eight hundred uh, nanometers. I someone think. who's legally blind. He's, he's who, he used to drive. Oh, he's at he's at eight hundred. Level nine thousand nanometers. Okay. So stay with me, love. You're right, and the efficiency part is why we could have so much computational power in three pounds of flesh, right? The way if we were to linearly compute everything we've ever learned and everything we've ever done you would need a computer the size of this universe and everything we ever see and everything right. we ever hear and it, it's just we ever impossible smell. to do that so what your brain does what your mind is doing is actively creating all these shortcuts but is that the brain or the mind it's, or it's what software you know, hardware we, we have in a way to go back but to the mind the mind is a bit more abstract than that it's not just the projection of the software but I see the mind as something that ultimately sinks back into the whole of the self. Also, so memory it's just a, is not the responsibility of mind. No, the, but it's not that. It's it, yeah, motor function is part of the brain's subconscious. Of, yeah, but it's part of the brain's subconscious. But it's still again, if you think of the mind, I think maybe it's good for us to define some of these things a bit better. And it's a bit hazy, but. The mind has a sort of shallow layer of consciousness. Like, what's the relation of the mind and the ego? Are we yeah, using they're not them It's not binary. It's not. It's within. Yeah. It's within. It's a mode within that. It's a mode. It's a tool. It's a tool. Just like vision is a tool. Going back to the efficiency idea, is, yeah, we're always making shortcuts. And again, if nothing changes, I'm not really processing anything. I'm not going to worry about it. efficiency about taking a task that is that requires your aliveness, that requires your alertness, and becoming at some point so familiar with it and so comfortable with it that it goes into, okay, I can do this subconsciously almost. I can do this with my eyes closed. This is the muscle memory. Mm. And it's, you don't need, it's so routine mm -hmm. that you don't need, it's like we've seen these people on YouTube 
that blindfolded or they're trying to flex. They're looking at the camera and they're just chopping an onion mm. and doing so very quickly. There are, when it hits routine, mm. part of the efficiency is you don't need to be so Some alert and alive. And, and so you go down a step. And the, uh, I want to look up Barocas because it's super interesting, but mm. it's responsible for finding the difference in the routine, finding the, the new. And it, in a way, mm. alerts you, awakes you, mm. awakes your mind. It's like an SNS. Oh, this is new. <gasps> this moment. One of the is most a... beautiful versions of that to me, like the most maybe obvious, is with the sense of smell. You wa walk into a place and you're completely overwhelmed with a specific smell, with it, be it food or somebody's noxious perfume or any just any kind of smell and within a few minutes you are so deeply accustomed to this place that you could swear on your mother's life that there is no smell in this house yeah, it's like why nobody smells their own poop it's like nobody smells it you know the smell of a house like i had a scarf one time that my my aunt gave me and i put it on it was years before i put it on and she had moved out of that place. I hadn't been there and I put it and it hit me in the face. It's, it smells like her house. And I just knew exactly what that was. And it's, you can't, it's not tangible. You can't, people who live in that, I don't know what the smell of my house is. It's, but again, you're, you step outside of it. There is a foreignness to it. You have to have that foreignness element to recognize it. Or else it just blends into the background. This is clearly, I'm not dead. Okay, I smelled something. Am I in danger? No. Okay, we're good to go. It's done. I don't need to measure everything all the time. Again, that would not be sustainable. It just isn't sustainable. So we have to take into account that we're always operating on a huge bed of assumptions. On a huge bed of assumptions and that we are trying to pinpoint outliers in the picture that we're painting and that we're trying to see if Okay, is there a new danger to me or something, a new opportunity to me? Is there something new that I have to direct my flashlight to? Because we have to think of your mind as a sort of focus tool. It's never a sort of, I can't see everything at the same time. So you, you just focus on something. Okay, there's a sound that's just threatening or even a baby crying. That's a sound that we're very sensitive to because that baby's gonna die if you don't do something. So it takes your attention and you have this immediate like zooming in, focus on that one thing, like the, like the light of the flashlight. Hmm. I, I struggle with feeling comfortable with that word focus as related to the mind. No, you, you have to think of it as a, again, you, you are shining light onto things with your mind. But right? the mind is like when, your baby cries there is a sense of the from the autonomous nervous system but it is autonomous the sense of it wakes up the mind but the focus is from that which is still not an activity of the mind but that focus also wakes up a mind that that rationalizes, that alerts, that awakens, but it's there. You can react, you can respond, just like any of our ancestors without ego or without a mind. 
will respond to their babies crying. They're, they're not without a mind. That's not really. I don't know. We can okay bring, yeah. bring about what that may mean. Mm. There is a reaction to stimuli of a baby crying. It's a tape that just plays, and you respond, mm. and you respond. And when the baby cries, without a mind past the boundary of sentience, mm. past the point of doom that we're familiar with as humans, there is still a response. There is still a laser-focused response that is deep in tune with how she as mother should respond. The mind, when it wakes up, serves as a distraction from that focus, is how I think of it. Yeah, but you because have the to mind see... and focus to me are dueling. But they're not, because I know what you're talking about, because you're struggling probably with the idea of attention as a focus. Yeah, yeah. and we always struggle with that, attention versus focus. Yeah. It's not the first time we've... Yeah, so you have to see it. Your mind is trying to shed light onto things. Like, you're almost in a field of darkness and you're trying to navigate your way. You have to see it as your mind as this sort of flashlight that's shedding light onto it. It's almost just immediate vicinity and then it could go a bit further and as you become better at using the tool you could see better you could you could enhance that field of vision you could see more nuance you could see further and deeper but you have to see that you are this sort of little beam of light in the darkness that your mind is always trying to understand things to shed light onto things and you can only ever do that in a focused way in a, which, which by that I mean in a limited way. Your light can only illuminate a very tiny amount of the information out there. It can only illuminate a very specific focused area at a time. It's your mind's light. It's your mind's light. It takes light. you away from your light. But your, mind light, your mind's light, if you will, is focused. It's like a flashlight. Okay. I can only see a specific part and then I have to move it and see another part and then I have to move it and see another part and everything else is darkness that like you say we are just filling in everything with the else may as well not exist and we it's yeah almost you're outside right, of those discrete moments of flashlight here flashlight, and then I'm just constructing this continuum and assuming that there is no what do you mean black darkness I don't see my blind spots. I don't even believe I have blind spots in my field of visions, but we do, but we don't see that. We, ref we deny it. Our mind by default denies its own faults and its own flaws. Because it goes against the narrative of invincibility, of the feral that, that Because you have makes to you believe it. If I see, again, if I'm seeing a rock and I'm like, wait, is this actually a rock or is this a- Or is it Iraq? <laughs> and then you're gonna sit there and Connor's like, yeah, you know, I can't just fully trust that what up okay, you're dead. Ciao. Again, you want an entity like you don't want that sort of constantly doubting what you're seeing, doubting the narrative. Because that puts you at risk. That puts you at risk at of risk of what? Of again, breaking the, the bond and the trust between you and mind. The risk of like it, it's in the best it's in the best interest of the mind to make itself as, Trust. as trustworthy, as essential. I just, you can't operate without me. There's this sort of, again, self, self-indulging. It's, it's kind of like a like, spy that has infiltrated a country or a military. 
there, as soon as there's an ounce of doubt, you're, you're, you're done. It's very dangerous. That's a right? great analogy. It's, you cannot present the belief of skepticism. Mm. You cannot yeah, you open that door. And act dubious. You have to imagine, maybe we could tie that to mental health. You start, when you start breaking, so we're all, we're mostly all operating under the assumption that what I see is what reality is. The further we stray away from that, the further reality is from what I see, or from, from what I believe I see, that strikes me as a little hey, bit hey. schizophrenic in a way. Stay love, stay with me, baby. When you have this sort of divergence, where what I believe I'm seeing and what I'm seeing, or what reality is, wait, I'm trying to put that together. But there's a sort of divergence that is breeding ground for going completely insane. When you stop trusting that your mind is actually, I don't know, because there's a healthy way and an unhealthy way, but a lot of the mental issues that you see in people, and I wanted to touch upon that a little bit in a couple of ways. This wasn't one of them, but I want to get to that. Let's just start by saying that you look at modern existence, the modern human experience, Clearly, everything, everything you read, mental health crisis, and people are struggling, and this and that, and and I think that are we not a lot struggling? Of it, we are struggling, but we have to pinpoint the issue a bit more. More what I don't know. So we're trying to solve the problem of the mind by deep diving the mind further and further and deeper it's just like to just looking into the atom and trying to figure out the entire universe and consciousness by going into deeper into the nucleus then into the quartz then into the it's the reductionist approach. it's the reductionist approach it's the okay again if the mind is all you have then all the problems not only stem from it but also are solved from it as well so in that frame of reference where mind is all there is your your ego is all there is what do they say? I'm a big fan of reading like advice columns from like uh, newspapers. It's just so interesting. Um, nine times out of ten, though, you know, with a lot of useful advice and useful ways of looking at the world, you'll see a you have to talk to a therapist. That's just going to solve your problems. And there's an extent to which introspection works. I'm a big fan. I'm a deep diver of things, as of, of these matters, and I want to get to the bottom of it. But if you're not able to step out of that mindset, like it's going to eat you up. If you're not able to set up, step out of the intricacies, again, of the minds, you're just going to keep digging yourself into a deeper hole, which is a lot well, of what we What's do. the problem with the therapist, though? Why wouldn't the therapist help you navigate that? stepping out process because a lot of times it's just stepping in deep more deeply a therapist is like temporarily a therapist needs to understand it, and, it's, and it's it, not the answer to the, everything the answer is it is the answer in a society that doesn't have a strong talking, social network talking and we live a lot of people here they don't really have a strong family network and social bonds from good quality friends and friendships yeah mostly because we believe we don't need them because we have therapists 
In a way, it's a chicken or, or egg problem. It's, yeah. No, I'd rather talk to a therapist than talk to a friend because the therapist is more qualified. Yeah, but the friend is... No, the therapist the is not friend, more qualified. The friend is... Knows you. You, you can hug a friend and that's normal. You can't, they can't hug. It's too much. There's too big of a formality issue with a shrink because you don't. Which which might help you admit some things to yourself a bit more easily than admitting them to someone you love, especially when it's the deep dark secrets and we don't want to show ourselves. Which is certainly a pro. It's a pro. It's a pro for a therapist. There are a lot of pros. I'm not saying therapy is all bullshit. That's not what I'm saying. I don't want, don't straw man my argument. This is why taking, being very open with strangers is, is something, it's, is an That's interesting, a barbershop thing. It's interesting. But the barbershop is a more, is a, is it's a, a bit more of a relationship. It's a relationship. Right? Yeah. Barbershop is a, but is, you see it a lot is, in, in a lot of communities is, a, is, a, is the shrink. Yeah, but it's, it's a safe, it's a safe, you know me enough, you can have some of mine. Oh, thanks. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, you don't know me enough to, for instance, I could talk to you about my husband, as I could talk to my hairdresser, if I had one, about my husband, but it's, there's no event in which we're going to be awkwardly in a living room and... Oh, so that's your husband. <laughs> no, that you cheated on. <laughs> what? There's no threat of that. Hence that dist- that stranger, the foreignness element of it. I want to know you. I want you to know me. But you're not part of my... You're not part of this. When I'm with you, I'm in that specific... I'm with you in that specific environment. And that's it. And in the traditional sense, boys were friends with boys and girls were friends with girls. Yeah. And the boy-girl network didn't really mingle too much in the traditional that's fine. sense that's but it's true. still you know your boy is going to tell his wife and in the traditional sense that wife has a strong social network with all the other girls so it's not going to survive even with your guy friends i don't know and i feel like the boy the man is probably back trusting their wives six years later <laughs> six years later when they get a divorce oh yeah he's been cheating on her this whole time he's like you, you knew this whole time you didn't tell me i didn't think it was relevant what do you know about what's relevant and what's not relevant but anyway like there is a sort of trap that we fall in so as useful as therapy can be in in some circumstances there's a trap of okay i just gotta keep exploring my mind and digging deeper and deeper and deeper until i find the answer and my point is that the answer is not found there necessarily we talk about the problem so much and although it is very important to be able to correctly diagnose what your problem is that's still only it, it only gets you so far as to where the solution lies there is a sort of dead end in a way you're in a maze and you keep going more deeply and you gather some useful information as you go through the maze but your chance of getting lost keeps increasing as you walk through that maze and you start, the, the devil's in the details. There's so much wisdom in this phrase and it applies to so many layers of, of our experience. And here in particular, it's sometimes it's enough information, but we don't know that. We keep digging and we keep tr- talking about that one thing and we keep repeating the same thing and we get stuck in a certain narrative and we get stuck in part of the maze that we cannot escape. And I think that it's, in a lot of ways, it is what's happening with the over-therapizing of all of our problems. And 
And this is when we, there are places to be, there are modes of being that exist outside the mind that we need to access, mm. that we need to at least explore. We need to explore the possibility. Again, the mind has a sense. Okay, what's sensing? If I say, okay, my sense of touch is a sense, what's touching? What's, who's touching? What, what's the subject, if there is one? Who's the subject? But if we imagine the mind as a tool, if we imagine the mind as a sense, then we have to talk about what's, what it is that's actually sensing. And we have to talk about what's outside of that and to access it and what the benefits are of being in that mode of being that's not mine, that's not me all the time, that's not centered around my reflection. Because again, the tool is a self-reflecting tool and self-reflection is very useful and it's very fruitful and it's quite, it's quite beautiful. But, but what's his name? Narcissist? Narcissist. <laughs> he's looking at himself, his reflection in the pool, in the water. Mm. And he's so in love with the reflection, falls in and drowns. And it's Narcissists are usually very good swimmers, though. Because they, they have yachts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, with a sweater on the tied around no. the neck. Just Another 10 minutes, yeah. Then it's my turn. <laughs> I'm just going to wrap up that so that it is a self-reflecting tool, but <coughs> we are making the case here. <coughs> We are making the case here that there is something outside of that reflection that's worth exploring. I have but so many questions. I have so many questions about that because there is a... I have no answers If, if that's you. everything we've ever had, if it's everything we've ever known, the world as we know it is a world that comes from a consistent and constant and reliable because the spy has fooled us. To believe that there are no blind spots. How do we know that it's not just me? And it's not always me. And it's not always me. And it's not about what I think and I want. We talked about when you shut off, it's almost like a video game. Does this even exist? It's Einstein's, I refuse to believe the moon doesn't exist if I'm not looking at it. And this is one of the conundrums. The suggestion, I don't want to get into quantum mechanics and let me break out my formulas in Schrodinger, but the suggestion that when you're not observing something, and this, the measurement problem is unknown, what do you mean observe? But if you're not really observing something, it's not really there. It's the question of if the tree falls in the middle of the ground, in the middle of a forest and nobody's around, does it make a sound? The question, or quantum question is, if a tree falls and nobody's around, it, does it even exist? And like a video game, when you're in this setting, and then you like turn around, and now you're seeing here, it's not like that still exists in a video game. Just, there's no existence in that sense. But how do we then, with that, and all the, the fact that all we know is the mind, and, and through our observation, the mind, the, 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 the world is, how can we say that there is an other outside the mind? What, why do we say that? Why do you suggest that, no, there's something else out there 
not something, maybe it's not something that you can measure in this material world of something. It's nothing if you compare it, if you contrast it. More importantly than compare it. If you contrast it with the something and all the somethings that are that come, that are manifest from your relationship with mind in this material world, mm. then what is that nothing? Is nothing? Or is it just something else? Well, and how do we know? How do, why should we even think that, oh, without mind, there is something else? What makes you think that? That's certainly a difficult question to answer, but one, one way to answer that question is to say that I know that place exists because I've been there, because I go there almost every night when I go to sleep. There's a place, presumably, <laughs> But if you think of, again, I don't know, I'm very interested in people's dreams and my own specifically <laughs> because I'm very interested in me. You're not going to sit here and tell me about your dream that you had last night. No, and, and I'm not. Spend another hour on that. I'm, I'm just like... Do you want to pause? <laughs> I don't know if I want to pause. Is it worth pausing? Because it's been like an hour and a half already. Okay. Uh, can I just make sure that this is on? The camera. That's a great idea. <laughs> make sure that I, I if it's off, sure. I'm, I'm just we, we don't do podcasts anymore. Why would it be anymore. off? I don't know because we live in a world. But you can keep talking. I can hear you. I haven't gotten the hang of doing that. Well, you're not. <laughs> Maybe if Louis looks at me, I could pretend to talk to him. Maybe you stay with me. Stay. 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 Yeah, we're at 120 hour. And yeah, 20. we this is we are wrapping up. We need another hour or so. Yeah. We kind of do. Um, no, it, it's a good maybe we spend too much time on the mind as we yeah. <laughs> advise not to do. And, and <laughs> we spend too much time on the mind and not enough time on the no mind and we're just That's exactly into how you're but that's the exactly no the proportion in our lives. <laughs> the, this was meant to be about heaven and what heaven means. So, so let's with, talk with about no that. Mind. I can I'm postulating here that there's a place that you go to and you go to it when you're asleep and it's And sleep naturally different. is a shutting off of senses. Right? Yeah, it's a shutting, it's a off, shutting off, of off of senses. So it's a place you go to. We are supposing the existence or non-existence of a place that you go to that your senses a place in which your senses are not welcome. A place where your senses are just so big and loud they can't make it through. A place like the, in the order eye to of enter, a needle. You have, you have, you have to have leave. To be so tiny. It's you like have to leave your, your keys. You yeah, have to leave you have to empty all your belongings. Fully to enter the eye of the needle. You have to all the weight, shed all the weight, shed all the bulky parts of yourself to be able to make it through that hole, through that tiny little hole. And really a I think an easy thing that people can relate to, and I don't even want to say most people, because I think that in modern days, a lot of people are not really dreaming anymore or don't, I don't know, are so distant from that place that I hear it all the time. It's, oh, I don't dream. Oh my God, you dream? It's such an old thing to do. <laughs> You're so old school. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's like it's people are surprised by if they hear dreams and their intricacies and their 
you know, richness, and not in my experience. Their vividness. Their vividness. A lot of people, if they dream, also you could see it even in your own dreams where when you're really worked up, your dreams are very close to reality, so that there's not much richness to it. It's like a... It's like a replaying of something or a playing of something that's about to happen. But anyway, no, not dreams deep are dreams, dreams are a good indication. Dreams of are a good what, indication. Of what could possibly be. Yeah. At the end of the day, this whole exercise is speculative. It is. Right. It's speculative based on certain things that we, we've heard and perhaps we've experienced through dreams. Mm. This is a dream is a window into the no mind or extremely decreased activity of mind. Mm. Another one is through the... Hey, hey, hey. Hey. Oh, I just got scared for the kids, but okay. It's just the... Come this way. This way, baby, this way. Hey. Louis, baby, let's go. Go on, Fifi. Go on, Fifi. Hey, 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 stay. Sorry. Say hi, buddy. Oh, he got worked up. Easy love, easy baby. He is cute. Uh, good boy. A good friendly boy. Got a little bit. Worked out in the end. Have a great day. Come on, baby. Louis, are you falling in line now? He's a boy, yeah. Okay, baby, come on. Have a nice day. Fifi, go on, Fifi. Go on, Fifi, go, go. Come this way, baby, come this way. Come on, baby. Louis. <laughs> he's just, right, there you go. I guess he's going with you. <laughs> okay, love. Yeah, you a new girlfriend, huh? Come on, baby. Hey, stay, stay. Crazy boy. <laughs> yeah, so beyond dreams. But let's, be, let's beyond, just try to wrap up dreams, with them. One, of the, one of the other indications are the dreamlike hallucinations that come from deeply psychedelics, meditative. deeply meditative, but also on the easier route. Meditation takes a lot of time, and we've had great influential figures from Buddha to Jesus to Moses to Muhammad that tell us about this area when you eliminate this relationship with ego, so with prayer, Satan, meditation. With uh, Very easy oh. for people who lack discipline. This sort of crash course is a psychedelic trip mm. that also does the same thing of dealing a blow to... I was going to say quite literally blow your mind. <laughs> yeah, sure. Blow but your this mind is what it is. Yeah, like, and then you fall into this dreamlike state It's where hallucinations are possible mm. and plenty. Yeah. And we've seen these things. And we there, there is a leap of faith for all of us who are suffering from a constant nagging voice that doesn't shut off at all. Suffering from, from too many from minds. The, from the diagnosis of never no mind, always mind. And it's very straining on, the, on, on you. You're, you're never efficient. You're never, it's always chaotic. It's always on. How are you, where you can, where, as you mentioned, you barely dream anymore. Your sleep isn't high quality. Mm -hmm. Because you struggle with shutting off all your senses and even the master sense of the mind. And just to be clear, mythologically, the places that we've been talking about is heaven. This is what we mythologically have known as heaven, as nirvana. The Buddhists call nirvana. It's this place of 
no mind. It's this place of complete quietude. It's this place that is, again, to contrast it with our, with our experience of being alive and aware, it's this place of permanence. It's this place of silence versus this place of impermanence, this temporary experience that we're having this loud and bright and all titillating experience that we're having at every second versus this quiet, intemporal, permanent, silent sort of place where dreams take place, where you're at one with something else, with at something one, at, at one with something unified. bigger. These are the patterns unified. that we hear even from people who... This is what scripture describes in so many different ways, in so many different languages, through so many cultures. It descri it's described as something rewarding, attractive, gardens and rivers. As something unrewarding, like not one-to-one. -one. The reward is unlimited in a way for what you give. Like what you yeah. get is just it's an unlimited. no bounds. No, unbounded. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. We don't quite of. understand what it means, but it is worth more than any reward than theoretically and again this exercise is an exploration and speculation and it requires a leap of faith mm. hence the spiritual and religious nature that is Eudos. we try to explore this there's a lot of speculation we dive through a lot of scripture and what our ancestors had to say mm. because we need to understand what might be on the other side mm -hmm in order for us to attempt to have a go at it. But it's very attractive, and in theory, it's more attractive than all the pleasures that, you, that ego can get you. And we have to be clear in assessing what that means. How could nothingness be more attractive than all the pleasures, that all, that all the weapons in Satan's arsenal? Think of the seven deadly sins. How attractive is the as gluttony and a time of hunger and you're about to feast. Mm. How attractive is lust? Mm. I mean, need I say anything about lust and its attractive nature, about temptation in general? How attractive is that? Now, we know how attractive pleasure can be. We know that. We experience it. We suffer through it, if you will. But we don't know what nothingness is. And all these people, all these historic figures, important figures, that have built nations and nations great. They are, they're all telling, from all walks of life, not just in the Abrahamic philosophy that we perhaps are bred and born within and we emphasize a little bit, but all walks of life. There mm. is this explanation of breaking from the shackles of mind that gets you into something very attractive and it's righteous. It's counterintuitive and it takes a leap of faith because we hear what we have here on this side, on the side of pleasure, we can experience. Because you, you have to experience. relinquish something that you can experience. And it's very attractive. So you have to relinquish that pleasure and the potential for pleasure for something that's unknown, vague, impossible to describe. Yeah. Even by the people who have been there. It's inexplicable it's, by nature. It cannot because you be can't spoken. have this rationalizing mind right. to describe and it. And very famously, people would come to the Buddha with a question and Buddha would just stare at them silently. Because stay. Stay. there is nothing to say. Stay. Stay. 
there is nothing to say about it. And everything that you say, everything that we say, again, is, is just always going to be a bastardization. It's always going to be wrong. It's always going to be cheapened, cheapened. Knock off, yeah. Knock off. yeah, it's always, again, you're using a tool that is our mind and language, which is another great tool that we have, but you're using a tool to explain something outside of itself, and it's just, you can't quite do it. And this is quite the, the, the indication of how beautiful it may be, because people have come out, and they've come up with really beautiful, usually poetic, mm. descriptions. Mm. We think of Rumi, we think of Ibn Arabi, we think of the Buddha. Think of anybody who's ever been inspired has come from that place. Whether or not they call it that or they know that, any inspiration comes from a place of no mind, comes from a place beyond that, comes from a dreamlike experience. Yes, and that is indicative. If this is a bastardization and it's beautiful and it's poetry mm. and gospel, mm. And it's, all it's, its rhythmic, beauty, it's melodic, it's poetic. It still cannot explain what, how beautiful it really is. This hanging out, out in heaven. The place of reward mm. that is brought about by God. Mm. And all we have is speculation. That's all we have. Mm. But I think it's enough. Mm. It's enough for us to give it a try. And this is why things, having a tool, a ritual, like the zero dose that we have at Udos, with the psychedelic trip, if you mm -hmm. will, to give us a glimpse is, I know necessary for It was necessary for me to have this glimpse. Everything I say now is after a deep dive into scripture and what these influential, important, beautiful figures in our, in our, in our ancestral tra trail had to come and tell us. But it took, for me at least, a glimpse of this unity, of this love, of this overwhelming joy mm. that exists with a decreased awe. mind, the sense of awe and beauty and the duality of significance and insignificance that you feel at the same time. Mm. It took that glimpse mm. of heaven that crash course, because I was undeserving in a way. I wasn't disciplined enough, and I still am not. I mean, we're talking about a speculation, an exploration into a kicking off us individually and as a larger group, as a community, to attempt to put together a set of tools that help us in fighting ego, in controlling ego, and in getting to phases, disciplined phases, of no mind mm. and the rituals of psilocybin are there to help us but the, the intent and the highly recommended route is to have the discipline you need to meditate and actually get to no mind rather quickly and that takes a lot of discipline it takes a lot of effort and mm. the larger the community you sit within the easier it is for you because we are social creatures and if we do this together we have a better chance Said. I think that's a good place to, to wrap up. Okay. It, it gets to the, it's a good, it's a good shallow. There are a few things I still wanted to say, but I think we should stop here. Maybe those things you could yeah. put in writing? Or maybe, but at, at Or the, have a recording separately? When we dive something? into the spiritual too, this there, is just we just brought up the, the routine. 
and and how that excites the mind. What would you like to up. discuss further? We could write it down, maybe bring it up n- next time. Or I'm discuss the boringness of sitting and meditating and trying to get to silence. The boringness of life in general, disciplined life. And that's how that it may rationally be unattractive. But again, you're rationalizing here. And your rational, egotistic mind is naturally going to want to persuade you What about you all the pleasures that I can give you? Yeah. Right? Okay. And I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about the happiness that comes from ego, from the taking in and giving in to the dopamine and the serotonin versus the, the type of joy. joy and love that comes from oxytocin. That yeah. comes from I would like to discuss oxytocin a little bit more yeah. as part of the reward because we didn't bring that on. Yeah. But maybe we could the have that. Dose. We could have a we have an idea of how to incorporate that later on to this. Okay. So.